Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. You know, when, when I began to pray through this series, specifically the messages that I'll preach today and next week, God, I felt, began to really direct my attention in two distinct areas. And I was a bit confused for a bit of how they would play out in terms of which one would precede the next. But I want to talk to those of of you today who feel like quitting, who feel like quitting. Now, you're going to see the message card on the website. It's also on Facebook if you want to find it there or version as well. Um, I will, on our social media throughout today, post all the pictures and videos uh, that are support for this message. So if that's something you want to go back and look at, uh, you can go back and look at throughout this day. But maybe there are people in this room that, that you feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like throwing in the towel. It could be your marriage. You've tried and tried and tried, and you don't feel like there's any way to get it to the place where it should be. It might be you feel like quitting on a dream that God has placed within your heart. It might be that you feel like quitting on the reality of God's calling for this season. You thought one day you could and you would, and now you think, you know what, there's just no way anymore. Maybe it's on a ministry that you felt like God wanted you to do, but no matter how hard you try, it just doesn't come through. Some of you in this room today, it could be on your kids. You don't want to throw them away, of course, but you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, And you just don't see any way that they're going to come back to Jesus and live in a way that's honorable to Him. It's almost, for some, like an addiction. You've tried to overcome and you've prayed and you've fought and you've dedicated and you've counseled and you've gone to therapy and you've rededicated and you've tried again and you've tried again and you've tried again, but you can't seem to put it behind you. It could be your prayer for those of you who have people in your life that you're praying for to come to faith in Jesus. And the harder you pray, the further they seem to get from God. Some of you, it, it might just be life. You've done everything you can to hang in there. You've done everything you can to try to persevere. And it feels like life is just too much. This is a message for someone who's tried and prayed and believed and felt like, you know what, I've got nothing left to give. And it's my prayer today that God's word will speak to you from the book of Hebrews chapter 10. You'll see our first three verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, 36, and 37. And when the author to the Hebrews said this, So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Do not throw away your confidence, he says. It's going to be richly rewarded. You need to, if you look in your Bible, you need to, what's that word? persevere. You need to persevere. You need to keep going. You need to keep trusting. You need to keep believing. You need to hang in there. You need to persevere. Look at the text so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. Notice that. Don't throw away your confidence, but he says you need to persevere. It's going to be richly rewarded for, notice, once you've done the will of God, You'll receive what he has promised. Next verse, verse 37, for in just a little while, everybody say just a little while. He who is coming will come 
For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, the scripture says. In just a little while. How many of you have ever noticed that God is rarely early, but he's never late? You noticed this before? In just a little while, he will come. You need to persevere. The title of today's message is Tempted to Quit. Tempted to Quit. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that your word would speak life and faith that we could persevere by your power so that when we've done the will of God, we will receive what you have promised. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Who's, who's ready for some good news this morning? Anybody? Come on, anybody ready for some good news? If you're watching live, you can type that in the chat. I'm ready for some good news. I want to share some good news to those of you in the room that know God has more for you and you're tired of, if you will, settling for less in your life. You don't want to settle for less in life anymore. I want to give you in the outset here a, a resource from Angela Duckworth. Now, Angela Duckworth, amazing, amazing woman, studied at Oxford and then she would go on to study at Harvard. And she went and she did research. The question she asked was, why do successful people succeed? Now, when you think of that word successful, there is a need and an immediate need to kind of define what in terms of what kind of success. But she and her team went and they researched three different categories to find out why people succeeded. They went first to a military academy. So the first group or context they went to study was a military academy. Then they went to some very challenging schools, really, really difficult schools, all the way from elementary up to the graduate level. And then they went and studied world-class spelling bee champions. They went and found world-class spelling bee champions, kids who spell words with 72 letters in them. And when they did, they wanted to find out what made people in these contexts succeed and then why others dropped out. They went to the inner city schools and they wanted to find out which teachers um, were successful and went the distance and which one caved in and quit before the end of the semester. They wanted to understand how is it that people are able to endure some and others not. Then they went to look at fifth grade brilliant little kids, again, that spell words with 72 letters, and they wanted to find out when, why when kids are equally talented, some rise to the top, and then some would cave under the pressure. The, the way to ask that question is why are some people successful and others aren't? And what they discovered was this that it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't having anything to do with the IQ. It wasn't the intelligent quotient. But instead, it was actually the AQ, the adversity quotient. It wasn't just in how smart that they were, but in how much they could actually overcome. I was going to title this message today, AQ is greater than IQ. But that's the reality. They, they found that the adversity quotient matters much more in life than the intelligent quotient. And Angela wrote a very helpful book. Again, I'll post all this today called Grit. And what she does in this book, Grit, is she has a quote that I really, really like. And she defines what is grit. Grit, catch this, is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. Now, I like this. It's both passion, meaning I'm excited about it. You have to be excited about it. But it's not just passion. It's also perseverance. And it's not just perseverance for a short season. This is perseverance for long-term goals. 
We're not talking about perseverance for just like a semester of school. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like raising a child for 35 years with special needs kind of perseverance. We're talking about serving Jesus when you have a chronic illness for several decades. We're talking about showing back up when it's easier to walk away. We're talking about continuing to be a faithful dad when most won't be a faithful dad. We're talking about continuing to show him back up in the situation and the calling God's given you when other people won't show back up to the calling that God has given them. And today what I want to talk about is that very reality. That true virtue of perseverance. True virtue of endurance. Today I want to show you a very powerful story that I believe could give many of you the faith to go on. Honestly, when it would be a whole lot easier to quit. We're going to look today in the Old Testament. Interestingly enough, we're going to look at the sixth book of the Bible. And we're going to look at the sixth chapter of the sixth book of the Bible. And if we were going to look at the sixth verse, we would be 666 and we would be called the Antichrist. Though some people probably think we're already the Antichrist. But but we're not going to look at the sixth verse. We'll look at the sixth verse in context with other verses. But the sixth book of the Bible and the sixth chapter. Let me give you the context and then we'll look at that sixth book of the Bible. God had promised his people Jericho. The children of Israel, now a million plus stronger, making their way into the promised land. Uh, Moses would be married on, buried on Mount Nebo. He was unable to go into the promised land because he had struck the, wa- the, the rock member years and years earlier. And now Joshua, the, the son of Nun, is stepping up to the plate and going to lead the Israelites into the land flowing with milk and honey. When they get across the river, God has told them in the first promise of the land flowing milk and honey, you will conquer the oldest withstanding civilization and, and, and city still to this day. That is Jericho. But they had yet to take hold of that promise. Now, I want you to see in your Bible, this is so powerful because if you got a Bible, please turn with me to Joshua 6. I wanted to show you the juxtaposition on the screens. I want you to see verses 1 and 2 and how the writer so clearly puts these together. We're going to look at a big portion right here of text or a portion of scripture that tells us. Verse 1, now the gates of Jericho, watch this, were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. So you've got Jericho. Watch this. You've got these big walls. No one was allowed, the Bible said, to go in or to go out. But look at the very next verse, verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, this is what God says. I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Now notice this. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. So this is your assignment. This is what I'm giving you. Scripture goes on to say this. Look, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horn. And when you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram horns that the Bible says, have all of the people Shout. All right, let's practice that. All of our church, have all of the people shout. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Notice what he says. He says, have all of the people shout. All right, those of you who are streaming live, just put the mouth emoji, all right, right there on Facebook. All the people would shout. Notice this, as loud as they can, and the walls of the town will collapse. 
and people can charge straight into the town. So the assignment was simple. Watch this. Walk around the walls one time a day. On the seventh day, you walk around seven times, you shout, you blow your horns, and then the walls will come tumbling down. Now we are in week three of a series called Seed the Clouds. Seed the Clouds. For those of us who are not aware of that cloud seeding technology, this was birthed several decades ago in an attempt, for instance, even in the Beijing Olympics in 2010, they tried to do this all over the countryside to keep the rain from coming and messing up the opening ceremonies. And you probably saw this all over the news when they're trying to take dry ice in the 1940s and throw it into the air in order to call the condensation to fall so that the clouds don't, of course, drop rain further down their journey, right? And so we're talking about seeding the clouds. Oftentimes in our life, we find ourselves waiting for God to move, and yet God is waiting for us to move. And what I have found is that when you live by a seed the cloud kind of mentality, sometimes it gets really tough when you don't see the promise. So you start asking the question, is there, have I missed God altogether? Have I missed his assignment? And Sometimes in those moments, you become really tempted to quit. You become, in the midst of the journey, tempted to throw in the towel. So why do we give up when God has actually promised us so much? Why do we find it hard to keep going and often lose our trust in the promises of God? I want to show you today three specific reasons that I think are very, very common And I think you might see yourself in these reasons that I see myself. Why do we give up? Why do we give up? Number one reason why people give up is because our perspective is often so limited. People give up, number one, because our perspective is so limited. For example, let's just talk about Jericho for a moment. Jericho is not a very big city, not a big city at all. In fact, you could march around it in about an hour or so, even in modern day civilization. So the problem wasn't that the city was that big for the Israelites. The problem is that the walls were high. The problem is that they couldn't see into the city. If you can imagine, the Israelites were so close to the promise. They were literally, had been wandering for decades. They are yards away from the promise, right outside of the walls. But the walls were so high and the promise seemed so impossible to obtain. I don't know about you, but, but for me, I can relate. Maybe some of you can relate. There, there, there are those of you like, you know what it is you want right now. You got a dream. You got a vision. You got a place that you'd like to be. You know what you want to have. But all you can see in your life is walls. All you can see is obstacles. All you can see is problems. I know this is where I want to be, Pastor Craig. In fact, I believe that's where God wants me to be. I believe that's where God has me. But maybe for you, all you can see is that which is keeping you from the promise. Maybe you're 15 yards away from the promise, but between you and that promise is an obstacle that seems insurmountable. Maybe it seems to be a problem that you can't overcome. Maybe for you, it's like, you know what? I want to get out of debt. And you got a vision to get out of debt. And you believe you're going to get out of debt. And you believe so much that you got Dave Ramsey's face tattooed on your bicep, okay? And you, you, you've been using the envelope system for three and a half years. But every time you try to get out of debt, four things, and usually, usually three of them are over $1,000 each, break in your house. And they break right at the time you make the decision to say, I'm going to get out of debt. You know, we're going to be this intense, debt-free, and the moment you declare it, things 
break and you just see the walls. Maybe you think that you're going to be a family that honors Jesus and we're going to go to church and we're going to be faithful to go to church. And then you're going to take your kids to church and then it's Sunday morning and they're running around late and you're cursing them all the way to church. And you're thinking, that didn't go too well. We're not serving Jesus really, are we, right? You're going to go to try to mend a, a broken relationship with a family member and you take them out to dinner. Mistake number one, by the way, do it in a public, doing it in a public place, okay? Don't seek out reconciliation in public venues, okay? That's mistake number one. And so it breaks into this shouting march and, and, and this reality of a fight. And you had great intentions, and now they called security on you at Applebee's or, or Chili's or whatever it is. See, the problem is we have, a, we have a very limited perspective. And here's what's interesting. If you look back at the text in verse 1, it's fascinating, church. It is so fascinating. Look at verse 1. Jericho was securely barred. Remember that. Watch this. It said, no one can go in, no one can go out. But in the very next verse, verse 2, God says, I've given you Jericho. So verse 1 says, you can't go in. Verse 2 says, I've already given it to you. Why did God do that? Why does God speak like that? Wait, can I, can't, can I tell you why this morning? Because God is the only one who can speak in the past tense before a present reality. God's the only one that can do that. He's the only one who can tell you what is when what is isn't yet. God, unlike us, has the capacity to speak in the past tense when the past tense that he's speaking of is not even a present reality. I wonder if some of you right now might be in a situation like that in your own life where he says about you and what he says about you is different than what you see about you. What he says about you is different than what you feel about you e even now. In other words... God might say that you're healed and you feel very broken. God might say that you are blessed, but you feel like he's forgotten you. God might say that you're an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the words of your testimony, but you feel like you're overcome every single day of your life and like life is just too much. Why is it? Because our perspective, church, is often very, very limited. It's like the Israelites. Now, if you didn't notice, I'm going to go ahead and throw the punchline out there real early. If you didn't notice... The Israelites did not know the end of the story. God told Joshua, but Joshua didn't tell them. I don't know if you've ever heard the story preached this way or understood the text this way. God told Joshua what would happen on the seventh day. Joshua didn't tell the Israelites what would happen on the seventh day. He just said, go around and march around the walls. Get up on Monday, march on Monday. Get up on Tuesday, march on Tuesday. Get up on Wednesday, march on Wednesday. And if you don't know what happened, I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. If you don't want to know the end of the movie, put your fingers in your ears and go blah, 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 blah. Because on the seventh day, you know what happened? They went seven times around the wall and the walls came tumbling down. Now, if you didn't grow up in Sunday school... You don't know that there's a kid's song about this story of Jericho, all right? And if you know it, uh, we don't have it on the screens, but you might just want to sing it with me, okay? Here is the song. It goes like this. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came. Come on, let's do it with our hand motions. John, no, you don't really have to do it. 
Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, right? Type it in the chat right there if you remember that song. Just say, I remember that song. Listen, Joshua would have hated that song. That's a stupid song. That's the dumbest song I've ever heard. Joshua would have despised that song. You know why? Number one, because it's stupid. Number two, it's because there's so much more to the story than what that little song says. This wasn't just a seven-day joy hike. This wasn't just take a little canteen and walk around, oh, look, a little butterfly next to the wall. No, this wasn't that kind of story. This was more than 40 years wandering in the wilderness. This is more than 40 years of obstinate, hard-necked people causing God to delay the process for God's people to take on the promised land. Wondering, where are you, God? God, you brought us out of Egypt to let us die out here, and we're ready, and you promised, and you haven't kept up your end of the deal, and we believe you will, and we're showing back up, and we're hanging in there, and we don't want to give up, and we want to see the faithfulness of God, so we're showing back up, and we're still believing again, and when we don't have faith, well, we're trying to have some faith. It's just, it's just kind of wild out here and and then all of a sudden you know trying to hang on for year after year after year make it modern day just for a moment okay it can't be like let's let's just say let's say Joshua was jacked up let's say he was messed up let's say he was addicted to methamphetamines let's say he was a porn addict and he went for help into rehab and he got into rehab, and then he backslid, and then he got clean again, and then he fell off the wagon again, and then his church of his parents went on a 21-day fast, and he came back to God again, but then he fell off the wagon again, and now he's backslid back into the lifestyle that he used to live, and then he went to a seven-step program, and after the seven-step program, he declared he was fine, but he wasn't really fine, and then he prayed and fasted, and everybody was giving up on him, but the people that loved him the most wouldn't give up on him, and then he came, and then he came back to God, and he lasted for about three months, and then he went back to rehab again, because he fell off the wagon again and then finally he fasted and nobody believed in him and finally he found victory. Finally, after 15 years or 20 years, he found freedom. And so they wrote a song about it. Joshua was addicted to porn and drugs, porn and drugs, porn and drugs. Joshua was addicted to porn and drugs and then he prayed and now he's fine, right? That would be a a stupid song. Why? Because there's so much more to the story than just praying and being fine. There is a family that's praying for him each and every day, believing, you know what? God has given up on him. I'm not going to give up on him. The church and the people around me have given up him. There's so much more than just praying. And then all of a sudden he wakes up. There's so, and, and, and this is the problem of humanity, right? When we look on others, we see their success and we see their victory lap and we don't know the price they had to pay and we don't know the pain they had to endure in order to get to that victory lap in life and you don't know the story behind the story that came before the story of the story that no one told the story behind but what of them what showing back up time and time again and continuing to persevere I'm here to tell you church you can't imagine even the private battles and the personal sacrifices of someone who continues to believe God even Even when they don't see progress, it's impossible to see. God, of course, assures it will come true. It's it's perseverance. It's the price. It's the private cost. So why do people give up? They give up because their perspective is limited. Second reason why people give up 
is our progress isn't always obvious. Second reason I've found that people stop seeding the clouds is because their progress is not obvious. In fact, I'll show you this in Scripture again. The Bible says Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry and don't raise your voices. Now he's saying to them, hey, once you get there, you can shout. But at first, just shut up. That's what he says. He says to the people of Israel, just don't say anything. Don't say a word. Don't even say, hey, man, how's it going? How's it going? You look fine, man. You look so flat. No, no, no. He said, don't say a word until the day that you shout. And then he says in the text, then shout. So, so don't say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. Notice what the text says. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. And Scripture says, then the army returned to the camp, and they spent the night there. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. Church, they did this stupid assignment for six days. Can you imagine their frustration? You're not just doing something that seems pointless, like walking around the stupid city tooting the horns. This was like decades of waiting, decades of trusting. These are warriors. They've been trained for battle. These aren't marchers. These aren't, uh, this is not a marching band. These are warriors ready to fight. And all they got to do was take a morning stroll, walk around the block. And that, my friend, would be embarrassing. Into the day and... You know, the day, and they're sitting there at their tents, and they're playing spades, and their wife texts, Hey, warrior, you brave hunk of a, you know what? Sends him the strong arm emoji. And says, can't wait for you to come home and show me your warrior medals. Mm. And then she texts the next soldier, and the next soldier gets texted from his wife. Did you, what'd you do today, big boy? Did you kill some, did you kill some bad guys? Well, um, texting back, it's a little, the little three dot thing coming. She's like, man, he's got a really long text he's given us. And then it comes back, and the blue shows up, and it says, well, we're just kind of stretching, kind of warming up our muscles a little bit. Um, but the battle's coming. I mean, it's coming. I think, I think it's coming. And they walked around one day, and they walked around two days, and they didn't see nothing. They saw no progress, no evidence that God was with them, no evidence that anything was changing. Wouldn't it have been cool if God made it like a video game? You know how when you get to the new level, you get the new level of music? Wouldn't it be awesome after they walked around day one, like you're one day closer, you know? Or like one-seventh of the wall fell down, and then, and then the screen in heaven is like, you've got six-sevenths left, you know? That would have been good, but they, they see no progress. They get no new level kind of music. Just keep on going. Just keep on going. Because what I've learned is that we can handle the process as long as we see progress, right? Can't we? Can't we as humans handle processes when we see progress in our life? Come on, somebody. You can fight for your marriage as long as you believe there's actually hope in your marriage. You can keep paying down your debt as long as you believe one day you could actually pay something off. You can eat good if you think you're going to look good on the beach, right? Some of you be snorting hummus if it's giving you an abs, okay? You're snorting hummus all May trying to make it to June. You know what I'm saying? Doing whatever you can to try to make your body look good, right? If you believe that you can see some progress, you can endure the pain. 
But they're just walking around and not seeing any progress at all. They're just walking day after day. And then what does Joshua do? He, he, he says, hey boys, you're not even allowed to talk. Don't raise your voices. Don't say a word. Let me ask you a question, church. Why do you think Joshua kept them from talking? I can't be sure, but maybe it's because he knows that sometimes our mouth can be our own worst enemy. He, he might know something we don't know in the midst of our seeding seizing, in the midst of our cloud seeding opportunity. Can you imagine if these people were allowed to talk? Hey, bro, this is stupid. Joshua's lost his dang mind. Joshua, who is he? Give us Moses again. Can we go, can we go dig him up on Mount Nebo? We don't need no Joshua, son of none, telling us not to talk. We don't need a Joshua, son of none, telling us to do these spiritual calisthenics walking around this city. So I ain't doing this thing every day. This is stupid. 40 years we've been serving God and nothing's happening. I don't know where he is. I don't even know what he's doing, but my feet are hurting. I got calluses all over my feet. I came out here to fight. I ain't doing this stuff anymore. I don't know if you're going to do this, but I'm not going to do it. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Where's God? If he hadn't come through by now, he ain't going to come through now. Where's God in the last 40 years? Why are we walking around some walls? Why in the world are we doing this? God told us, hey, we're going across the river and then we're there. But we're there and no, now the walls aren't coming down. Now he's got us walking around these stupid walls day after. Things are bad. Things are going to get worse. That's why sometimes, listen to me church, you just got to tell yourself to shut up and keep doing what God told you to do. And, and it takes some boldness like that sometimes to land upon the island of self and just preach to yourself and say, shut your trap and keep on marching. Keep on seating. Keep your mouth quiet and keep on cloud seating. Shut up and keep praying, Craig. Shut up and keep on loving someone who seems unlovable. Shut up and keep on forgiving. I'm going to throw down my own, my own notes. Shut up and keep on believing even when it looks like you can't move forward anymore. Shut up and don't even allow your speech to betray the promise that God is about to give. There are times in our life where we have to shut up and keep on marching. Keep on moving. Keep on saying, you know what? Even when I don't see a progress that looks obvious, I'm going to keep on moving. Sometimes I have to say, flesh, I just don't believe you. I'm choosing faith. Circumstance, I don't believe you right now. I'm choosing God. I'm not walking by sight. I'm walking by faith. Shut up, feelings. I'm trusting God. And what's interesting again to me is if you note, God told Joshua the process would take seven days. But Joshua didn't tell the people it would take seven days. Like for all they know, again, they're in a marching band. Like here we go again, right? And this is frustrating when there's no end in sight. When you're doing the right thing and it doesn't seem to make a difference, it's so much easier to honor God. It's so much easier to do what's right. It's so much, so much easier to stay the course when you feel like it's working and when it pays off. See, I know there are people in this room that you, you think I could stay pure in my singleness if I knew God was sending me a hottie with a body in six months. God sent me a hottie with a body by Christmas, I'd be pure, pure as salt. Oh yeah, I'll just serve you, God. Just send me my man, right? You could do that if you knew someone was coming. You could deal with your spouse's depression if you knew God would heal their depression by fall. In other words, you can take the pain when you know God is still working. You can take the, the challenge when you know there's a payoff. Where is God in times like that? Where is God when you don't see Him? Maybe, just maybe, God is building their faith. 
He's teaching them to depend on Him even when they don't see the results. He's building their faith. See, what I've discovered is this, church. Are you ready? God often does something in you before He does something for you. That's my story in the last few years. Some of you, it might be your story in the last year. I know it's our family's story, marching around the walls and not seeing him come down. And, you know, as a pastor of a congregation, I always struggle because I'm a pretty transparent guy. I don't know how transparent to be with people oftentimes. I never kind of know how much people can handle. But I do know for most of you, last year was probably one of the toughest years, if not the toughest year that you faced. And I would say that is especially true for those of you who are in any form of leadership. And I tell you right now, it was tough. Some of you right now on a Father's Day, it's a tough day because of what conjures up. And it was a tough, tough year. I know for us, no matter how much we prayed, no matter how hard we tried to get things right, it was just impossible to get everything right. And the personal toll that it took on me was probably more significant than I realized. And, you know, midway through, I've been in ministry almost 20 years. You know, six years now leading, co-pastoring here at Dwelling Place. But I know in those 20 years, I, you know, I never looked over in the midst of ministry, looked over to the side and thought, you know what, maybe I should do something else. Maybe, Maybe this is just too much. But midway through my Jericho march, I started wondering, do I have what it takes anymore? Am I still the person? Does God still want me doing this? Because somebody else, I feel like I could do a whole lot better. I don't think I'm doing very good, or I'm certainly not able to even lead my own emotions. And I kind of I kinda looked at the towel for the first time and thought, you know what, maybe, maybe it's time to throw it in. I don't know about you, but in my Jericho March, my cloud seeding season, I couldn't hear from God. I would say, God, give me anything. Just give me anything. Just give me a word. There was the longest time where I just couldn't hear anything. Like, give me a word, God. Give me something. I'm reading the Bible. I can't hear anything. And then God gave me one word, and I didn't even like the word He gave me. And God just told me in that season, wait and study. And I'm thinking, okay, I can do study. And let me tell you something. It wasn't even the assignment that God gave me. It was just the fact that I recognized He's still with me. And it kind of brought me back to center. And what I realized is this, is that whenever you're tempted to quit, it's always good to remember why you started. To remember why you began. And I remember I didn't go into this for easy. And I didn't follow God and the call of God to church plant because it was popular. I didn't go in it to be liked. I went in it because people are lost and people are dying and they need help and they need salvation and they need a community. And so in some very low moments, I'm talking racked with private depression, racked with severe anxiety. I looked at the towel and in the same way you might look at the towel and I want to say to you today, you can throw it in or you can pick it up And you can wipe the sweat off your face and you can keep on marching and trusting God. But it's your choice. The third reason I found that people give up is because the process is open-ended. 
The process is open-ended. Again, when we work out, even physically, we like to be in control if we're doing burpees for three minutes or burpees for some of us for 15 seconds. We like to be holding the clock because when we know if we've got 15 more seconds, but when someone trains us, when we get a trainer who holds the clock and controls the clock and the process looks open-ended, training for godliness, cloud seating gets that much more difficult. Because now the process seems open-ended. I I lose perspective. I don't always see obvious progress. And it becomes an open-ended process where I can't control. And what ends up happening is I feel the temptation to quit. I want to talk to someone today who's been faithful for a long time. You've been trusting God. You've been praying. You've been believing. And you're still not seeing the promise. And I want to tell you today, you may be closer than you think. You may be closer than you think. I'm reminded of Florence Chadwick. For those of you who don't know, Florence Chadwick's an amazing woman. She was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Incredible accomplishment. In 1952, Chadwick decided to attempt a 26-mile swim between the California coastline and the Catalina Island. California to Catalina. And again, I'll post these pictures later on today, but as she is 15 hours into this grueling swim, a very heavy fog began to settle in and she lost her bearing. She lost her locale. And she couldn't see and she's confused and she's exhausted, discouraged. She wanted to get in the boat and the people that were following behind her said, keep swimming, Florence, keep swimming, Florence, keep swimming, Florence, keep moving, keep swimming, keep swimming. And she couldn't take it anymore. And she finally turns around, looks at the boat, she throws in the towel and she quits. And it wasn't until she got in the boat and could hear everybody there that she realized that the shore was less than a half mile away. I don't know who this is for today, but I'm here to tell you by the inspiration and authority of God, you might be closer than you think. You might be closer than you think. Our key text for today in Hebrews 10 says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. You need to persevere. Why? It will be richly rewarded. Why? Because once you've done the will of God, the writer tells us, you will receive what He has promised. Maybe you've been walking for a long time, just like we've been doing. For some people in my life who need healing, I've been walking, saying, Jesus, heal. Please heal. Please heal, Lord. Please heal. I'm begging you to heal, God. Jesus, please heal. I'm coming back and I'm believing. I'm like the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. I've done a lap. And I'm still praying. And I'm still praying. And God, I'm trying to hang on. And I'm trying to keep persevering. And then what happens? You start out lap number two. And and sometimes in the midst of your lapping, you, you start feeling like Habakkuk. God, where are you? Do you not hear my cry? Why do you let the innocent suffer, Habakkuk said. I don't understand, God. I don't see you. And and by the time you get done talking to God that day, then you're taking your third lap. And and God, I don't understand why the marriage is not getting any better. You know, I I thought once we talked to them or once we got involved in that group or once we engaged with this person, then all of a sudden he'd be a different person. But 
I, I don't see anything, God. All I see are the obstacles, God. And before you know it, you get to lap number four. God, all I see again is obstacles. God, I don't even feel you. I don't even feel like I've heard from you. I go to church and they look like they've been shot up with something in their veins, some kind of joy serum. And, and I don't have any joy serum like that. And I'm on, I'm on lap five now and I'm continuing to trust God. And, and now I'm discouraged. Now I'm wondering, do I need to quit? Oh, this is the point in time. Oh, have I, did I have it wrong? Oh, Meredith and I, we missed it didn't we? We had, we had selfish ambition, but we missed it. That's what we did. Oh, I understand. Oh, and I don't even feel like it right now. I'm, I'm supposed to be trusting God, but you know what? Now I'm kind of honestly ticked off. I'm in, in lap number five and, and, and I'm a little bit mad, but somehow I get back up and I go around the, the wall one more time. And, and, and now I don't even know if God's real at this point, right? But I can't go to church and certainly not say something like that to the people who are in my connect group. But, but now I'm starting to get, I don't know, just a, a season of life where, where I keep going at one point, but before I know it, I'm on lap number six. And, and maybe I'm one lap away from the promise. And I may be closer than I think. And that's why I came to tell somebody today, don't you dare quit on six. Don't you dare quit on lap six. Don't stop on six. Don't stop marching on lap number six. Don't quit on one. Don't quit on two. Don't quit on three. Don't quit on four. Don't quit on five. And certainly don't quit on six. I'm here to tell somebody today, don't quit on God. Don't quit on your marriage. Don't quit believing for your children. Who else is going to believe for your children if you don't believe for your children? Don't quit believing for your family. Don't quit believing for your aunts and uncles. Don't quit believing for a wayward child. Don't walk away from your ministry. Don't walk away from the calling God has placed in your heart. Don't walk away from your church. Don't abandon the church. Don't abandon God. Don't quit on six. You may be so much closer than you think. You can throw in the towel. Or you can pick it back up and you can wipe the sweat off your brow and you can keep on walking and you can keep on trusting and you can tell your feelings to shut up because you don't follow your feelings, but you have faith in Jesus. You may be closer than you think. Whenever you feel like you're ready to quit, just remember why you started. Go back and ask God to ignite in your heart and your mind again why you started. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. This is what he said. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't, don't become weary in doing good. Don't let us go weary, he says in the march. Don't let us go weary in the faith. Don't let us go weary in praying and believing and trusting and hanging on when everybody else lets go. And we just keep on trusting God and we keep on walking by faith and not by sight. Do not grow weary in doing good. Watch this. For at the proper time, did you catch that? You will reap a harvest if you do not give up. This is for somebody. Don't you dare quit on six. Don't quit on God. He hears the cries of your heart. He knows the desires of your heart. He is with you and he is always good. So what do we do? We let us, the scripture said, persevere so that what? We will experience the blessings of God. After we've done the will of God, we will receive what he has promised. I don't know who this is for, but the devil wants you to throw in the towel. And Jesus took the towel and he washed some feet. You can, you can take your towel. You can wipe off the sweat and you can go start serving some people. And you can stay in the game. Because his promise is true. God's word is true. He said you will reap a harvest if you don't 
give up. You know, there's an interesting scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. I love this text where the Bible says, from the apostle Peter to this, everybody say, to this, you were called. He said, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you. This is what I love. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. You should follow in His steps. Now, I want to just show you something real quick. Oftentimes in this, the seed, the cloud seeding season, when we're tempted to quip, when we're tempted to throw in the towel, when we're tempted to say, you know what, the progress is not obvious. It's been a long, long journey. It's a challenging season. The process seems open-ended. What happens is in those challenges, what happens to you happens to me. We have the choice in that challenge to either be pushed further away from God or to draw nearer to God. And oftentimes what I watch and observe is when people go through those challenging seasons and they're tempted to quit, it pushes them further from God. But 1 Peter chapter 2 says you were called to this kind of suffering. Because Jesus, watch this, left an example that you should follow. Everybody say follow. In his steps. So instead of the challenge causing you to grow away from God, to get further from God, to move further from God in his presence and his people, what Peter tells us is you must actually do the opposite. You must draw close to God if you want to have endurance like Jesus. What God is telling some of us today is that if we want to endure and follow in His footsteps, you're going to have to stick close to Jesus. God essentially says to us, if you want endurance, you must get really close to me. Now, what I have here is a cardboard tube. It's just a simple cardboard tube, but I want you just for imagine to think of it as Jesus. Think of it as Jesus. In life, Jesus went through all kinds of sufferings. He went through all kinds of challenges all kinds of problems. The Bible actually calls him a man of sorrows. Now imagine these books as being those challenges, as being those difficult seasons. Jesus was able to endure. In life, he went through all kinds of sufferings, all kinds of challenges. He could handle a lot. He was able to endure. What is the cross itself, if not a picture, of the reality that the Son of God was able to what? Endure all kinds of suffering. All kinds of weightiness. And when we look at the cross and we look at Jesus, we study the Gospels, we see that Jesus was able to endure. He endured because the joy was set before Him. But the question is, not can Jesus handle it, but the question is, can you handle it? Now, now, if the tube represents Jesus, the paper represents you. How much do you think this paper can handle? How, mu how much do you think that sheet of paper can? Not very much, right? Can't handle anything on its own. In order for us to be able to endure, we must be wrapped around Jesus. Our soul must become entrenched with the strength of Jesus so that when we continue to spend time with Him, when we continue 
to endure because of the example He gave us. When we, as First Peter tells us, to follow in His footsteps, to this we were called the suffering, and we become enwrapped around Jesus, intimate with Jesus. Same piece of paper. What can it handle? Can it? You, you think it can handle a second challenge? Now think about this. The only difference between this and that is this. And when we, as His people, are called to endure through pain, called to seed the clouds when progress is not obvious, we better grow closer to Jesus. What we'll learn is that He often wants to do something in us before He does something for us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.